In the middle of Thorns Park stands the old Wakefield College campus. Now there are a few signs of the stately home that once stood in its place. The victim of a fire in 1951, following a school production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, the remains of the old Thorns house now boast only a single wall. The legacy of the house as a school lived on past the loss of the grand building, but what was also buried along with the original structure was a local common knowledge of the family who once lived there, particularly its final resident, Lady Catherine Milnes Gastel. Lady Catherine boasts an impressive list of achievements that include being a champion of social justice, one of the country's first female magistrates, the founder and president of Yorkshire's first St John's Ambulance Brigade, and the author and playwright of nine published books. Until now, her achievements and contributions have been largely forgotten by the city that she dwelled in for a large part of her 43-year marriage. Small traces of her can be found in Wakefield, on information boards within, and books about Thorns Park. However, none of them allude to the extraordinary life she led, so much so that despite the achievements listed, one of the only internet markers I could find when I first began researching her for the Forgotten Women of Wakefield project in 2018 was on her husband's Wikipedia page, stating that she was a minor author who invited to their home artistic and literary visitors who included Henry James and Thomas Hardy. The Forgotten Women of Wakefield is a grassroots project led by the social enterprise company Dreamtime Creative. Its aim is to rediscover and celebrate the stories of Wakefield's women that have been buried in history as a result of them being overlooked because of their gender. The project aims to do this through ensuring blue plaque parity and creative upskilling of the local community. It's all about emboldening women's voices, both past and present. I personally came across the project whilst working a summer job in an independent cafe in Wakefield after I'd finished my first year of university. Sarah Cobham, the CEO of Dreamtime Creative and the architect of the Forgotten Women Project, was a regular customer and, upon finding out I was a history student, asked if I'd be interested in carrying out some research. With all the free time a three-month-long summer gives a student, I jumped at the opportunity to get some practical experience and was later given a slip of paper with the name Catherine Milnes Gaskell written on it and set free in the Wakefield Library to find her. Two years on, and a 70-page document timeline later, I get to share with you all why I find Lady Catherine such an inspiring figure, and in the process, hopefully inspire you too. Lady Catherine was born on the 7th of December, 1856, the eldest daughter of the 5th Earl of Portsmouth, and the first cousin of the 5th Earl of Carnarvon, better known as the man who funded Howard Carter's Tutankhamun excavation. She spent most of her childhood at the family home in Eggersford House in Devon, where she received a less than conventional upbringing. Her parents' social circle consisted of literary icons and pre-Raphaelite artists, including the likes of Thomas Hardy, Henry James and Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Lady Catherine made such an impression on Henry James that he wrote about her in a letter, saying that she possessed a great deal of vivacity, spontaneity and cleverness. A rose without a thorn, moreover, is Lady Catherine G., of whom you asked for a description. I can't give you a trustworthy one, for I really think I'm in love with her. Her mother, Lady Portsmouth, was an avid campaigner for women's education and suffrage, having signed one of the first parliamentary petitions on women's rights to vote, along with an attached letter to prominent suffragist Millicent Fawcett. Lady Catherine herself was only 20 years old when she first moved to Wakefield, following her marriage in 1876 to Charles Milnes Gaskell of Thorns House, who later became MP for Morley. But considering the staunch liberal and strong matriarchal influences in her upbringing, 
It comes as no surprise that she felt both a duty and ability to tackle social, artistic and gendered barriers, soon becoming a pillar of the Wakefield community. One of her first local endeavours in 1887, garnering huge interest and success, was the establishment of the Guild of Pity. Whilst the name of the fund now might appear to contain a hint of condescension, in the context of late Victorian England, prior to the formation of a welfare state or a safety net by the government, the Guild of Pity was a forward-thinking and modern endeavour. In the first year, Lady Catherine recruited 200 people, producing over 600 good quality garments to clothe the disadvantaged of Wakefield, and continued to host annual meetings at Thorne's house, eventually averaging 300 guests and 800 garments for distribution each year around the city. Alongside establishing the Guild of Pity, Lady Catherine began gathering plants to set up a convalescent home in Lupset for women and children. Her endeavour came to fruition a year later, and the home became a respite for Wakefield's women and girls who needed a safe environment in which to recuperate, whether from the workhouse or a damaging domestic situation. This, in particular, displays Lady Catherine's commitment to the protection and uplifting of women, and her recognition that a safe space where women could be nurtured would go a long way in supporting their well-being. By 1901, Lady Catherine was so committed to her community work within Wakefield that she declared her occupation as Paul or Guardian in the census. Her contributions towards helping Wakefield's children extended to her providing milk every Sunday for those in the workhouse and Clayton Hospital as part of the free breakfast mission. And in 1902, we see the first mention of her work running the Scatterhome Scheme, which in its first instance took 60 orphans from the workhouse and in groups placed them with foster parents. Lady Catherine was reported in the Yorkshire Post and Leeds Intelligentsia in 1902 to have said to the children leaving the workhouse, We cannot give you, my dear children, a real home, a real mother, or a real father, but we are doing our best to bring you under the influences of home, to make you feel that life is worth living. There is only one way to be happy, and that is to be good. In the years leading up to and during the First World War, Lady Catherine was instrumental in the formation and organisation of Wakefield's volunteer aid detachments, and by extension, the first St John's Ambulance Corps in the whole county. These organisations trained civilians to provide nursing care in the event it was needed by military personnel. A 1911 article from the Leeds Mercury tells us that the registration of the St John's Ambulance Association in Wakefield happened at Thorne's house under the invitation and instigation of Lady Catherine. This was the first of many such organisations in the county, for which Lady Catherine not only paved the way, but became president of. In 1911, she assisted her daughter Mary in publishing a cookery book of nearly 750 recipes, the proceeds of which went to the purchasing of soldiers' uniforms and to the Disabled Soldiers' Fund. It was all this work that earned her the Order of St John of Jerusalem, a British Royal Order of Chivalry first given in 1888 by Royal Charter from Queen Victoria, its most notable recipient being Florence Nightingale. And later, when a law was passed in 1919 allowing women to be appointed to the position of magistrate and justice of the peace, Lady Catherine was one of the first to be appointed. As if all this wasn't enough for us to be inspired by her, Lady Catherine was also a great patron of the arts. A report in the Leeds Mercury in 1907 includes the story of Horace Potts, who was a Wakefield tram driver with a powerful singing voice. Upon hearing him, Lady Catherine spotted his potential as a tenor and took him to an eminent voice specialist in London, who promised to train him at no cost. 
covering all possible barriers to his success, she appealed for donations for a maintenance living fund so that he could stay and pursue a career in opera. Amongst all this community work, managing Thorne's house and having two children, Lady Catherine didn't allow her own artistic expression to be quashed. Her upbringing surrounded by literary giants obviously had its impact, as throughout her life she published a total of nine books, as well as numerous long essays and articles. In an 1889 essay entitled Women of Today, Lady Catherine discusses the expectations placed on women in the late 19th century. She explored how standards of women's education were rising, and as a result, there was greater expectation for them to be equally competent and intellectual as men, while still maintaining the position of housewife, mother and housekeeper. She argued women were now expected to be perfect at every task she performed, and ensure time for leisure activities with her family as well. She proposed the time of women is never thought of as sacred, and women of all classes are short of time to feed their souls due to the duties and expectations of running day-to-day life. It is something that men don't understand or notice, and when they do, they are quick to discount it as trivial. Despite this essay being 130 years old, it seems surprisingly resonant even in 2020. Whilst Lady Catherine acknowledges that her position as an upper-class woman granted her more privilege and freedom in choosing how she spent her time, in her case, dedicating much of it to charity work, even as one of the most privileged women in the country, her time was never valued the same as a man's. Had this not been true, I think it likely that Catherine Milnes-Gaskell's name would be better known in the city she devoted so much of her life towards helping. I think this is why I find this essay particularly interesting, She seems completely aware that the patriarchal system we live in would forget about her contributions to improving the lives of Wakefield citizens after her time had passed, and it inspires me to share her story wider and louder in opposition to this. From the early 1900s, Lady Catherine was writing and having books published every few years. Her first, in 1904, was entitled Old Shropshire Life, and in 1907 she wrote Prose Idols of the West Riding. Lady Catherine's keen observation and attention to detail is clear in these novels. Set in the heart of Shropshire and Yorkshire respectively, the seats of the Milnes Gastels, many of them are odes to the local characteristics and dialects she was surrounded by and so keenly loved to record. In a bid to entertain her guests throughout the years, Lady Catherine wrote a sizeable collection of plays to be performed by friends and family. In 1903, these were put together in a volume and published as The New Cinderella and Other Plays. We can imagine that among those entertained by these plays were the authors, poets and artists Catherine had inherited as lifelong friends from her parents' literary hub, such as turn-of-the-screw author Henry James, Thomas Hardy and her husband's close friend and confidant, Henry Brooks Adams, the grandson of John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, and great-grandson of John Adams, the second president. Being incredibly politically astute, her role in her brother's successful political campaign to win a seat for the Liberal Party in the 1880 election did not go unreported in the local and national press. She revisited this role campaigning for her husband, Charles, who became MP for Morley in 1885. In addition to this, she wrote and had published several letters to newspapers about the issues women faced in Ireland, pushing the boundaries of what gendered societal constraints deemed acceptable topics for women to publicly discuss. Following her husband's death in 1919, Lady Catherine made the Shropshire residence Wenlock Abbey her permanent home, and a few years later Thorne's house had become a grammar school. 
She continued to write articles and stories well into the 1930s, until she passed away aged 78 in January 1935. A few days after Lady Catherine's death was announced in the Times, an acquaintance wrote in with a eulogy which highlighted her impressive literary career and wartime work. A section of it reads, In the war, Lady Catherine worked untiringly for the wounded men in hospitals in the West Riding of Yorkshire. From the sale of her book, Lady Anna's Fairy Tales, she raised funds for two beds in the war hospital at Etap. She cared greatly for all social schemes, for the benefit of young people. She spoke well and had done much public work during her life, but what she liked best was to do personal kindnesses whenever she felt that she could help. In light of the wealth of aid Wakefield received from Lady Catherine's call to arms and organisation, the literary work she left behind, and the artistic hub she nurtured, many members of whom were some of the largest names of the late Victorian age, it is deflating to think that her legacy has been buried in the region she lived in and wrote so fondly about. Now the people of Wakefield can challenge the Wikipedia article, which claims she was merely a minor author married to Charles Milnes Gaskell. Lady Catherine was, in fact, a visionary, a campaigner against injustice, a political activist, and an extremely accomplished writer who overcame the obstacles of Victorian upper-class domesticity and sought to make her voice heard. Lady Catherine, you are not forgotten. Hi everyone, my name's Amy, and I'm here to talk to Tony about the process of writing her episode. So, Tony, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, um, I'm Tony. Um, I've just graduated from the University of Leeds with a history degree, um, and I've been researching Lady Catherine Milnes Gaskell for the Forgotten Women of Wakefield uh, for two years now. Wonderful. So, how have you found the process of writing your episode? So in terms of the writing for the episode, um, I have a documented timeline with lots of newspaper articles um, with all of Lady Catherine's achievements. So that was kind of my base and it was all about translating that, which is kind of primary source documents, into um, something accessible for people to listen to. Um, Yeah, so it felt like I was condensing a lot down um, and it was weird. I was writing up her achievements in such a concise way um and picking out sort of the the most um impressive um and it it came to me almost it highlighted to me again how um amazing of a person she was and how much she actually did because instead of it being sort of spread over 70 pages it was actually in like a three-page document and it was like this this and this all one after another so the process was actually I think really helpful in reminding me why I'm inspired by her. So you talked about how you had lots of documents already from the research you've already done but were there any resources that you used to compile that that were particularly interesting or helpful? Um, Yes so um, most of it is generally newspaper articles because that is the easiest way you would like type in a name and in say a, a newspaper archive um, and it would pop up with or, or a lot of the time you actually had to put in like Mrs Charles Milnes Gaskell or you just had to search Milnes Gaskell and look um, because of the way that women are written about or have been written about in the past is 
um, I guess, overshadowed by men. Um, so uh, a lot of it is newspaper articles, but I actually did find one book about the Milnes Gaspell family. Um, it's written by Cynthia Gamble, um, who is a lecturer at Exeter University. Um, and she wrote a book called Wenlock Abbey, 1857 to 1919, A Shropshire Country House and the Milnes-Gaskell Family. And that covers um, essentially the Milnes-Gaskells in their Shropshire residence, um, which was they were based at Thorne's house, but then they had um, this other residence that they would go to generally for summer. Um, but it was, I guess, their second home. Um, and this was generally, I think, where they hosted a lot of their... Um, literary events because it was a very picturesque um, village as well as hosting people at Tharna's house so that was really helpful in terms of learning about Lady Catherine's background um, and the literary side of her career so yeah and then the the Wakefield side which focused on all her community work was essentially all from local newspapers um, and what was reported in um, also a couple of national newspapers, but mainly sort of the Yorkshire-based Wakefield Express, Leeds Intelligentsia, um, that you could access through. I accessed it through my university's um, like subscription to newspaper archives. So a bit more of a fun question now. If you had the chance to go for dinner with Lady Catherine, would you take it? And do you think you'd enjoy it? Yes, I would take it. I'd feel kind of... Well, no, I wouldn't, actually. I wouldn't feel um, out of my place, necessarily, because obviously she she was the first daughter of like the fifth Earl of Portsmouth. So uh, she sounds very aristocratic. I imagine she had quite an air about her, but... Yeah, I don't think Lady Catherine doing the research. She seems like someone who um, d- doesn't stay constrained to class barriers. Um, she seemed very approachable to anyone, considering all the the community work that she did and the fact that she was so passionate about it that she put that down as her occupation. Um, I think if I could have dinner, also dinner would be at Thorne's house, which now no longer stands, but it sounds fancy. So I would take that in a heartbeat. Maybe I could wear my prom dress again if I could fit back into it. (laughs) I think it would be really nice. It would be very inspiring to speak to her because I, I think we share similar views. It would be really interesting to ask her like what she thinks about I'm I'm really interested in like women's history and feminist history. Obviously, feminism at this at the time Catherine was living was completely different. It wasn't called feminism, but you know the women's emancipation movement and and just the the world. I'd love to speak to her about the world and like see where our ideas cross because reading her articles, they're so interesting and inspiring. I think they're such a great insight to what the world was like at that time. I think I'd love to have dinner with her as well. Um, So final question, is there any other work that we can direct our listeners to if they want to hear a bit more about what you do? Um, Yes, there is a Forgotten Women of Wakefield website um, and there's also a Dreamtime Creative website. um, Also a Dreamtime Creative Facebook page and they post all of the events um, and sort of the goings-on of the Forgotten Women Project. Um, They host events quite a lot. And actually, um, next month, we're doing a blue plaque unveiling for Lady Catherine because we finally got some funding. Um, And so that will be going up 
in Thorns Park Rose Gardens. So the blue plaque will be on like the gardener's house there in a few months' time if people want to go and have a wander by that. Uh, but yeah, if you want to keep informed with the Forgotten Women Project, um, check out the website and check out Dreamtime Creative's Facebook page because they're always posting about the the other Forgotten Women too, who are all like a lot of them are interlinked. They all knew each other, and they're women that really deserve to be recognised. And all the work is being done by women who deserve to be recognised. So go check that out. That sounds amazing. And we'll make sure that we put a link to that work in our show notes. Thank you. Well, that's it from us. Thank you very much to Tony for writing and performing this episode. And thank you very much to our audience for listening. Bye. Bye. Today's episode of Who Came Before was written and performed by Tony Stevenson with theme music by Brandman Munn. It was edited and produced by Amy Winder for Wakefield Lit Fest, a literature festival funded by Arts Council England and IBE. Find out more, find us on Twitter at Wakey Lit Fest, on Instagram at Wakefield Lit Fest, or search for us on Facebook. Thank you again for listening.